Thanks for pressing play. And on today's episode, a very special holiday edition with one of my favorite people on planet Earth, one of the most prolific and I think important writers in the world. And she happens to be our first and most regular guest on this oddcast, Dushka Zapata. Her work has been consumed over 150 million times on question and answer site Cora. She's an extraordinary uh, producer of content. She writes almost every day. She's got uh, more books than I can keep track of. I believe her most recent book is Love Yourself and Other Insurgent Acts That Recast Everything. (laughs) How do you like that for a title? And um, this might be the most different holiday conversation uh, you've ever heard. Because Dushka and I have a powerful, dare I say, fun discussion about grief, suffering, and opting out of the holidays. Now, look, I know the holidays are a wonderful celebratory time for us to uh, focus on our friends, our family, and for many of us, of course, our faith. But also for many of us, the holiday season can be um, a time of great sorrow, where we are reminded of the people that we have lost. And, um, you know, I'll be candid with you. This is a very tough holiday season for me because 2019 was the worst year of my life. And um, we'll get into why on, a, on an upcoming episode. Uh, this episode um, is really for anybody um, that's experiencing a little bit of pain this, uh, this holiday. And even if you're not, I think this episode will help, um, help us all. I know talking to Dushka always helps me uh, have more empathy and love for others. Uh, also on this episode, you might be surprised to find out what Dushka's got planned for the holidays. Uh, it's a fantastic conversation that I know you're going to love. You can go to Lockhead.com for more on Dushka. And uh, before we get started, my friends at NetSuite by Oracle uh, are the number one cloud business system. They're the category queens and kings of cloud ERP. And that's because NetSuite offers a complete picture of all of your finances in one place in real time from your phone, your desktop, or your tablet, or any other way you access the interweb. And uh, NetSuite customers grow. As a matter of fact, they grow three times faster than the S&P 500, and that could be you too. Go to um, netsuite.com different to schedule your free demo and get your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. That's netsuite.com different today. And um, my friends at Splunk want to remind you that we are living in the data age and data is coming to everything, every question, decision, and action. And that's why Splunk helps you turn data into doing with the world's leading data to everything platform. Check out splunk.com slash D2E as in data to everything. Splunk.com slash D2E. Now, from the bottom of my heart, happy holidays. And hey ho, let's go. You know, I, as you know, I, I write a lot on Quora, and a lot of the questions that I answer have to do with people asking permission. Is it normal for me to be sad? How long should grief last? You know, I lost my dog four years ago and I'm still mourning. Is that normal? 
And to me, my answer always is, who cares? Who cares if it's normal? You should feel whatever it is that you're feeling. And who, who is it that is an authority on regulating what other people should or shouldn't be feeling? How can someone say it's been too long? You know, my dad died five years ago and I'm as sad as I was the first week he died. Is that wrong? Is that not normal? Like, why shouldn't I feel sad if I, if that's what I'm feeling? So that's what I mean by permission. Yeah. I think, and I say this as much like a question, uh, more like a question than an answer. Um, I think people are trying to help you through something, right? So they're trying to give you a quick tip. Um, and, um, you know, there are no seven steps and there are no timelines. There are no seven steps. There are no stages to grief. Let me tell you about help because... It, I, Aren't there four-minute abs, though? Not, maybe not seven <laughs> I think so many people want to help, but I'm going to tell you, asking someone to cheer up when they're grieving is like sitting on someone's chest when they're trying to breathe. It feels incredibly suffocating to not have room to feel what you're feeling. It feels awful. So I think that the best way to help someone who's grieving or going through whatever is to just give them the space to feel whatever it is they feel. You know, the, the, we can't expect people to be happy all of the time. Well, I don't mean this to sound overly pessimistic, but if you're happy all of the time, there's some things you're not paying attention to. Yeah, I don't think that's pessimistic. I think that's real. And I also think that happiness is a container where a lot of feelings fit inside. It, I think I can be grieving and be happy. I think I can be angry and be happy. I think I can be sad and be happy. I am a happy person who grieves most of the month of December. And I'm not any less happy in December. I'm just grieving. My father died in December, and it also happens to be the month of his birthday. And it happens to be the month where everyone is asking me to have a happy holiday. It's super difficult to get through the day without reacting super aggressively to someone who goes, Dushka, happy holidays. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I'm dying here. And I'm still happy. Yes, it's, um, it's a powerful thing to have somebody say to you, how are you? And to say to them, fucking terrible. Terrible, exactly. And to see their reaction because there's not a lot of, <laughs> it doesn't happen very often and so it catches people off guard and some people aren't ready to hear it. Yeah, and I think some people are caught off guard and I think that's normal. But I also think that we should all walk around knowing that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to tell someone, how, how are you, and have them go awful, actually. And for you to break, break your step, you know, and stop and just turn around and give the person a hug or a pat or a, or a squeeze on the shoulder. People go through really difficult things. And I think that on top of everything else, having to hide it is just horrible. We shouldn't do that to anyone. Yes. Uh, and... Um, I'll just say how it is in my head. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary event when you're in a business meeting with a reasonable number of people, six or more people, and you are crying. I've done that. I've done that in more meetings. You know what I do actually? Um, just last week, uh, I had a meeting and I slapped the team that I had the meeting with and I said, just so you know, I'm feeling really weepy today. So if I cry, just ignore me. And they did. I cried a little. I pulled myself together, sort of. And then I got myself through the meeting. Sometimes I work from home 
I told my boss, who's fantastic, I love her. I, I said, my dad died in December, and I just want you to know that I'm just going to weep at an inopportune moments. And she looked at me, and without batting an eye, she was like, okay, I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's kind of what it takes sometimes. Um, yes. I have a friend. The freedom who, to be open about it. Yes. The freedom to be open about it. I'll, I'll, I'm going to tell you a, a super quick story. I have a friend who has an organization called You Are Going to Die. And I love it because he has business cards that he hands to people that say, you are going to die. Those business cards have an incredible effect on people. The reason I discovered him is because when my dad died uh, five years ago, I didn't know what to do with my grief. I felt, I felt devastated, but I also felt, I felt like I was carrying something heavy and big that didn't fit anywhere. I felt like I was carrying a very unwieldy suitcase. I was, I was always feeling like I didn't know where to stash it. And a friend of mine told me about this organization and said that this guy gets, goes into a small theater and gets people together and everyone goes up on stage. Like the, you, write, you put your name on a list and people go up on stage and read something about whatever it is that they've lost. And it's typically uh, a person, but sometimes it's an experience. Uh, you know, I lost my faith in something or, but usually it's, it's, it's someone and you, it's very, it's, a, it's dense to attend one of these meetings. You sit there and you just listen to people and you basically cry a lot. Like you sit there in the theater sobbing and you look around and everyone is sobbing and no one is saying, are you okay? Oh my gosh, cheer up. Oh, so everything happens for a reason. You know, my, my all time favorite ridiculous thing to say. And um, you just, you just ha step into this theater and you have the room and the space that you need uh, to grieve. And it was just such an incredible gift. I, I think that I went every Thursday for at least three or four months just to have the space to cry in a public place and feel that I wasn't um, invaded by people wanting to make me feel better. And it was wow. fantastic. I went up on stage. I read a few things about my dad. People clapped. They cried with me. I cried for what other people had lost. There was this woman that I will never forget this. She went on stage and she had a recording of her parents leaving her voicemails and she was out. She was out on whatever. She was traveling on business or something for a couple of weeks. And the recordings are, are like, honey, I don't know where you are. Your dad is in the hospital. And then the next one, hey, baby, your dad is getting sick. Please call us. And it, she basically came home to listen to a series of recordings that went from please call us. It's not urgent to your dad is getting sicker, to letting her know that she needed to attend a funeral. And all she did was stand on stage and play the entire recording. And it was so heartbreaking. And it was so incredible to have her just share it with an entire theater of people and just unload the sadness and the perplexity and the, the pain. And it, I don't know, I just feel like we should all be making that space for others. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to hate the holidays. It's okay to not want other people to have a happy holiday because you just can't do that for, for another person to be happy, force, forceful happiness. It's okay. Yeah. It's, um, it's a big one for a lot of us. Yes. I think the holiday season is particularly difficult for people who, well, also for people who have lost someone who's no longer sitting around the table. I mean, that's brutal. Yeah, man. Hey, listen. Um, my grandfather loved Christmas and he gave me that love and 
the music around it and Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra and all that stuff, the traditional Christmas things. He adored it. And, um, no, he's been gone since I was 16. I miss him every Christmas. Yeah, I understand. Um, my dad loved Christmas. So my mom uh, is Jewish and my dad was Catholic. And so Christmas was something that we always did with my dad. And when he died, he died. He not only loved Christmas, but he died very close to Christmas. He died December 15th. And that, that December was so painful that I was like, I just need to set Christmas aside for a while. I don't know for how long, just for a while. And the, the man I was, I was formerly seeing, um, who's now a very good friend, uh, uh, is Jewish. So, he, so basically, after I came back from Mexico from burying my father, cremating him, I never celebrated Christmas again. And because I'm Jewish and my, my, my ex-boyfriend is Jewish, I, I basically made Christmas disappear. Um, I don't have any Christmas-related things in my house. I don't... I don't partake in Christmas celebrations. I don't wear ugly Christmas sweaters, nothing. And it, it just, it's, it's very, it's very painful and very rewarding and very pleasing that I took the entire season and, and just set it aside for when I'm ready. I don't celebrate the holidays. I, on the 25th, I'm going to be sitting alone in my apartment in an undecorated apartment, just like doing whatever I would do any other Sunday. Hmm. And, um, I mean, maybe the answer is obvious, but maybe it's not. So it's the question in my head. And so why have you made this choice? I feel like it's just too painful. Um, I think I just want to, I think, I think, I think I'm present for my pain and I want to feel it, but I don't need all of it to come at me at the same time. Yeah. And uh, here's what I'm not going to do. Okay. I'm not going to tell you in any way, shape, or form that's not what you should do. <laughs> Excellent. I am grateful for that. Well, or, also- well, you know, you could transform your relationship with the holidays if you buy my seven series <laughs> course on transforming yes. the grief of the holidays into happyhorseshit.com. Yeah, that's, that's a good call. I mean, one day I will bring Christmas back for sure. I have nieces and nephews that are getting a little bit older and Christmas is starting to be important to them. But right now I just can't, I just can't do it. It just feels, it just feels like an assault, like a happiness assault. I can't. Yeah. And so uh, you're just, you just do your own thing. I just do my own. Yeah. And uh, and you don't go to parties and you don't do any of that stuff. That's right. I mean, people throw holiday parties and I like, I, as you probably know, I, I'm not a big fan of parties. I tend to keep to myself. I, I tend to just do better in like smaller groups of people, which would be more like a dinner than a party. But I go to parties and I, I, I show up and I sit down and talk to a couple of people and then I leave. But just in general, I find the holidays really overwhelming. I found them overwhelming even before I was grieving. I think it's a whole lot of forceful celebration on, on a short season and a whole lot of like seeing people and navigating different social things. Like I just, for me, it's just an onslaught. I know that I'm a holiday Grinch. I apologize to all your listeners for being so down on the holidays, but, <laughs> but not celebrating the holidays works for me. And also uh, for somebody who's introverted, like you are, like I, I get it. There's only so much energy you can sacrifice on other people, right? 
exactly. It was so funny. Last night I was as a, at an office party, um, and I was surrounded by – I work in an office with a lot of people that I, I really, really love with, just a great group of people. And I was standing next to a friend of mine, and I said, you know, we were like standing around like a like – a, there was like food and drinks and all of the normal party things, and I turned around to him and I said, you know, I can bolt now and make a yoga class, or I could – serve myself a plate of delicious food and get a drink and just sit down. And I, we looked at each other and he said, yeah, I could go to the gym too. So I said, really to inspire him, you know what? I'm going to yoga. And he stared at me and he went, you know what? I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> so he went <laughs> and left. <laughs> I hate to say, but the choice between going to the gym or yoga and a drink, hmm. I mean, <laughs> You're like, I think maybe I want that drink. It's certainly depending on the circumstance, although uh, certainly the, the yoga is more often the right answer, but it's not necessarily the one I choose. Yeah, yesterday, I was like, I think I'm going to pick yoga. Also, I, I think you know this, but I'm not, I'm not a super big drinker either. I think for most people, I'm kind of a party pooper, unless you happen to really love not drinking and going to yoga, and then I'm super entertaining. Yeah, well, it depends on what the party is. You're, <laughs> some people go to toga parties, and some people go to yoga parties. Exactly. Exactly. Being entertaining or boring is completely subjective. It's your life. It's your life. Yeah. It's your life. And, uh, you know, that's another thing loss teaches you, right? Um, it just, it just sharpens your attention. It just can't, you just can't help but be sharpened by it. It's like, hmm. It's um, like, I just, I just remembered what was important to me. Yeah, and even if you're not somebody who generally forgets, um, it's still, when, it, when you get that call at 5 a.m., um, you get that call at 5 a.m., and you're going to deal with that call at 5 a.m., whether you want to or not. Yes. It's so incredibly total. And there's nothing you can do about the circumstance. Nothing. Nothing. It's also a lesson in total and utter powerlessness. Yes. And for, for people's, for, for a person, for people who are not used to feeling that way, as a matter of fact, who at least in part have built their identity on, I'm somebody who makes big shit happen. I'm, I always, there's always a path for me forward, right? Um, yes. It's also a great way to check your ego. Yes, there's this yeah. great martial arts expression. You will either be humble in life or humbled by life. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is definitely one of the things, I'll tell you two things that I found incredibly difficult to deal with. The first is people laugh, but I thought my father was immortal. I thought he was a superhero. He, he perpetuated this when I was little, but at a certain age, I had the choice to maybe disbelieve it. And I think I think I was in my mid-40s, and I still thought he was a superhero. So when he died, I was stunned. I just couldn't believe it was possible. Through his illness, I kept telling him, you know, this, this, this could turn itself around. So that was one thing. And the second thing was, I was stunned by how little I could do about it. I felt, I felt that my inability to change the circumstances was a form of betrayal. And that is super yes. difficult. Like, I, I can't help you when you're, when you're, the way that you deal with life is I can step in and help. And it, the, the, the realization that you can't help is 
crushing. It feels like I betrayed him. I realized that, you know, that doesn't make sense, but I only know that intellectually. Yes. And when you're somebody who has a, um, you're, you're, you, you have a penchant for, you're thrown to, you're oriented towards action. Shit yeah. goes down, we take action, yes. right? And of course, sometimes hopefully we think a little about what the right action is. Only, only in rare cases. Well, you know, maybe a little better as we, as we uh, continue forward here in life. But um, Old age helps us just a little bit. But, you know, if you are a little bit of a uh, punch now, ask questions later kind of a person, like, like generally you're oriented to action because you believe that through action you can produce results, right? Yes. Um, and that, there are and, no results to be produced here. Right. And so when you're that way and you're in this situation, it's like, well, there's, there's very little action to be taken. And there's no action to be taken on rectifying the situation. The only action that is actually required is dealing with the ramifications of the situation. And even then, you're only fooling yourself. I mean, what are you going to do? Someone just died. There's nothing to do. The other thing that was super shocking to me was I'm the oldest of all my siblings. And I was shocked at how... I thought that I was going to come in and support my siblings and it was actually the other way around. I was the one who was like, I don't, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how it's possible that this happened and how is it possible that I couldn't do anything about it? And my siblings were like, he's dead, you know? Yes. The other thing I'd be curious to get your thinking on Dushka is my experience of these sorts of things is that when they happen, part of what's going on is um, your part, big part of your identity or some part of your identity has now gotten altered. Yes. Because you can't see your dad anymore. Yes. And it's a meaningful change in your life, right? Um, so I, I have two answers. That I think maybe they're contradictory. The first answer is that when my dad died, my overwhelming sensation was that he had not gone anywhere. I am not religious. I'm really pragmatic. I'm not prone to fantasy thinking. And I know he's here. I know it to the bottom of my heart. Like I feel him. Um, and I felt that way very strongly the days after he died. I, I felt he was just right there. Um, I could feel his presence. I still can. Um, so that's my first answer. My first answer is in a sense, nothing changed because he hasn't gone anywhere. In the other sense is I think grief rewired me. I think it changed the chemical composition of my blood. I think everything is different today than the day that he died. My entire life has been completely altered. There is nothing in my life, not my significant other, not the place where I live, not my job, not what I do with my free time, not the people I'm out with. Nothing has happened. Nothing has remained the same. And I think it's because there's a river of grief coursing through me that is re, re-carving my in, inner landscape. And that's re- what grief does. I think it fundamentally changes your composition. You said re-carving your inner landscape? 
yes, it's it's like a river that's that's like coursing through me and recarving my inner landscape. Hmm. The the way a river changes the the changes a mountain as it as it flows through a certain line exactly. over time. Yeah. Exactly. So I had a certain life and I had a certain path and this river has come in and like removed and like recast and recarved everything. Not deliberately. I didn't know that it was going to happen, but if I look back on my life over the past five years, everything is different. And how do you deal with what I think is for many of us a natural tendency, which is to try to resist it or fight it or push it back as opposed to choose the circumstances versus having a feeling or a thought that the circumstances have been inflicted on you and you're sort of trying to push them away or not believe them. I can't believe this is true. I think when you react that way, you, it's, it's, like, it's like holding back the ocean. You, it, it can't be done. It, it, you basically come to terms with your own powerlessness. If, I mean, I can, I can refuse to feel whatever it is that I'm feeling, but it's going to catch up with me. That's what feelings do. And especially when there's something happening inside you that is like re-changing, re like rearranging, like a, like a massive internal uh, redesign, you know, it's just changing everything. So you just sort of let it, t um, let the course of the river pull you where, it, where it's going. And like you said, like someone dies and you like reprioritize. So there's a part of you that is just like incredibly focused and the, the thing that I felt when my, when I, when my dad died, like the, the predominant thing was, oh, oh my God, we're running out of time. And it wasn't something coming from a place of anxiety. It was just a very pragmatic, holy shit, we are going to die. And so since his death, I've written eight books. And a lot of people are like, you're writing like someone is chasing you. And I'm like, I'm, I, I'm running out of time. I've, I, for, for 40 years, I said that I would one day write a book. Like, when did I think this was going to happen? I have to get on it. And so I'm not writing with anxiety, but I'm very clear that I don't have as much time as I thought I did. We are running out of time. Yes. Yes, we are running out of time. And it's interesting, to the best of our knowledge, uh, the human being is the only creature on the planet that knows it's going to die. There may be others that do. Um, but um, we certainly do, right? And um, it's one of the biggest sort of I don't know, questions, paradoxes, um, it might be nice to live in, in bliss, not knowing that we were going to have that happen. But at the same time, of course, it's the ultimate um, cause for meaning in our lives. That we have I to wonder, do something with it. I wonder if not knowing you're going to die is blissful. I, I don't think so. I think that, I mean, I, th I don't think that we should live in anguish. But I think that, I mean, I come from Mexico. We celebrate the Day of the Dead. And we celebrate the day of the dead because only through the contemplation of death can you really appreciate what you have in life. And when I contemplate my own immortality or when I'm faced with someone else's immortality, it's, it's when, I, when I wake up to how fleeting it all is and how, how you have to assign meaning to your own life rather than have, there is no meaning of life. You decide for your life. And I think that if, if nothing else, when you lose someone, and you come out of a few months or weeks or years of, of being in a, in, a, in a sort of like underwater, like just not really listening or everything is just slow and 
when you come out, you are incredibly focused. And, you know, yes. start, start focusing on what it is that you want to be doing. And, you know, a lot of things that used to work for you are just not enough anymore. Like, I don't, I don't want to shoot the shit. I want to talk about important things. And I don't want to um, go to parties and, you know, chit chat. I want to, I want to talk, like really talk. And, you know, m there's millions of ways where you can make your life more significant. And I think they vary according to the person, but, you know, you, you realize that you're running out of time. It's time to get busy. Yes. Exactly. Now, is there anything else you wanted to touch on, my love? I don't think so. What about you? Um, in what con has context? Any, any context. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a show. It's, it's you and me. Um, I think, you know, there's so much to unpack. Um, but the big one is sort of that... Um, fire forges steel. Um, and if you read Frankel, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing or I'm interpreting, but he sort of says, um, you know, you sort of have to be up for your suffering, be worthy of your suffering, I think he might even say. Um, and so the reality is um, we are all going to suffer significantly with nothing else with for sure our own death and you're going to lose a bunch of people along the way it's just going to happen and there's going to be other things that are going to happen um and here's the other one that's interesting there's suffering that we choose that's pretty awesome right when you say hey i want to get really after it about being a writer there are moments along the journey as joyful as it is for you where there's a lot of suffering yes of course so the suffering that we choose is also a very powerful thing. Um, and so this is another thing sort of I've been playing with, which is sort of these things that we apply ourselves, that stretch ourselves, that can cause that sort of feeling, but we've chosen it. Um, and then sometimes the phone rings at 5 a.m. and your life is altered forever. Forever. And... Um, it's a powerful thing to get to a place that says, I choose this now. Yes. The only thing I want to leave, with, leave you with is that I love you and I love you when you're happy and I love you just the same when you're very sad and I love you just the same when you can't get out of bed because you're depressed and I love you just the same when you decide that you're ready to get out of bed. Jushka Zapata, you're a gift to humanity. I love you and thank you so much for being in my life. I love you too and thank you for being in mine. Well, there she is, the incredible Dushka Zapata. And uh, I hope that conversation made a great difference to you. And again, from the bottom of my heart, best wishes for this holiday season. All right. We would like to thank the incredible Dushka Zapata. Uh, and one of my favorite books of hers is called You Belong Everywhere and Other Things You'll Have to See for Yourself. You can check her out on Amazon.com and look at the entire catalog of Dushka's work. D-U-S-H-K-A-Z-A-P-P-A-T-A. -A Dushka Zapata. Um, now, maybe it's time to scale yourself. My friends at Bottleneck Virtual Assistants want to help you get back the most important thing we all have, and that's time. Check out bottleneck.online and leverage the power of a virtual assistant. 
Um, if you're a younger person and you're looking to break through in your career, check out the new handbook on how to design a legendary career by my friend and partner, Isaac Morehouse. Go to crash.co slash different. That's crash.co slash different to get your free preview of his book called Crash Your Career that I was lucky enough to write the forward for. And um, don't forget my friends at onelifefullylive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. That's one, the number one, lifefullylive.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain disturbed. We must warn you that clearly this podcast is produced in a studio that does contain nuts. Remember to teach writing, create memories worth having, listen to the legendary Leonard Cohen, only buy free-range, uh, cage-free eggs, because uh, chickens are people too. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Dennis Mullenberg, CEO of Boeing. Sorry, Denny, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. I'm wishing you an incredible holiday season. Till we're together again, stay legendary, and of course, follow your different.